Hairdressing, business, beauty, products, people, interviews, fitness, health, well-being. I'm Nathan Plumridge and welcome to Hair Life. Hi and welcome to episode 7 of Hair Life with me, Nathan Plumridge. In this episode, we're going to be talking to Victoria Maven. She's a hairpreneur and multi-award winning salon owner based in the north of England. We're going to be discussing what it's like to start a business and the challenges it brings. So, without further ado, let's go. Good morning, Victoria. Welcome to Hair Life. How are you? I'm very well, Nathan. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. I know we've been trying to get this together for a short period of time, but we finally got here. We're here. Um, so I would love you to tell listeners today about Victoria. Who is Victoria? Well, I'm Victoria Maven slash Cartwright. Uh, I'm known as both. I was lucky enough to get married just before the pandemic hit so I'm kind of in between surnames and I don't know which one I'm which one I'm opting for at the moment so that's me I am the owner of the locks of love brand and we have salons up in the north of county Durham and Leeds um predominantly a hair extension salon um but we do offer the full hairdressing experience to our clients and um yeah I'm a busy salon owner running around like a headless chicken so let's let's kind of go back so what made you get into the industry? What made you get into hairdressing? Well, Nathan, I was uh, a little bit late to the party with uh, with hairdressing. I actually didn't go into hairdressing until I was 24, which in the grand scheme of being an apprentice is, uh, is quite old um, in, the, in the hairdressing world. Um, but I, I kind of went into hairdressing with um, an interest in it, but I didn't at that stage find a find a niche, find a specialism, find a passion. And working in hairdressing, as we all know, it's very, very difficult unless you have a passion. It's a really, really challenging job and and you've really got to love what you do. So I fell out of love a little bit with the industry and um, went off to uni and I did a a business degree with um, three small children at home. So that was uh, quite challenging. But um, at that stage, I... um, actually wrote my business plan for Locks of Love as part of a uni assignment, um, mm. not with a view to actually um, opening the business or anything like that, certainly not thinking I was going to be where I am now, um, but it was it was more to get a good grade on my assignment, to be honest. Um, and by that stage, I had started wearing hair extensions myself. I'd got rubbish hair after having my, my youngest child and... Um, you know, kind of piqued a little bit of a, an interest with me. And I, I sort of found a niche that I thought, do you know what, actually, I, I can I can do this. Um, and uh, that was 11, 11 years ago, I think. And uh, here I am now with a team of staff and two salons. Wow. Is it, I mean, is it one of those that now looking back and looking at that original business plan that you wrote, uh, at university has now come to life. I mean, there are a lot of those systems and things that you put into that that you're now practicing every day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, um, hair extensions in, as an industry, it's a little bit of a funny one. It's, uh, it, you know, it's viewed very differently um, with, you know, different people in the hair industry. And you've got some people who love them and some people who hate them. And I think my 
focus at the time and it's what has worked for me so well now over the last sort of 10 years um was on kind of quality and um systems and follow-ups and maintenance and aftercare and and all those sort of things so that you know we I, I think when you're putting things into people's hair it's not the same as as, as cutting it or coloring it mm-hmm. um right. there's a whole heap of other things to consider and actually um there's a whole heap more stuff that could go wrong and has gone wrong in in you know the last however long that hair extensions have been a thing and uh, yeah. and so it was that that was in my initial business plan that I have carried through and and yeah it's worked fantastic so quality all yeah. about quality always um, and it's interesting as well so in terms of like the experience like what was the point when you decided to open your first salon what was that moment well when I came when I came out of uni I actually went into a, a marketing job um I, it was offered to me while I was still at uni before I graduated and and me being me at the time I thought well I've just spent three years doing a business degree I mean I've got to put it to use haven't I I can't go back into hairdressing I'm never going to put it into use in hairdressing I mean it's the most ridiculous thought I'd ever had because <laughs> you know clearly that wasn't true um so I was working in marketing for a little while and and suddenly realized you know what it, it, I belong in the hair industry. I don't know what I'm doing here. This is just ridiculous. I hated it. Um, and so I handed my notice in and went freelance, basically. Um, it was a huge gamble. I mean, at the time, my friends, my work colleagues, my family all thought I was mad. Um, but within two and a half years I was then at a position where I just thought I can't travel anymore I was literally up and down the whole of the northeast and north Yorkshire and it was ridiculous so um I opened a salon with my mum actually believe it or not um my mum hates hair she won't touch hair she hates anything to do with hair um so if you'd have said to her 10 years ago you're going to open a hair salon with your daughter she'd have thought absolutely not um, but it works because she she does all the things that I don't like to do. So I'm the one with my head in the clouds and all these visions. And she's the one um, who kind of, you know, keeps everything grounded. She's the one who who logs everything. And she does my HR. She does, you know, she's a fan of talking about health and safety and risk assessment, which I'm really not. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a good it's a good partnership and it works. And it was really my mum, I have to say, who did sort of spur me on and say, look, Vic, have you thought that actually you need a base now? Um, think about opening a salon. And um, yeah. Eight, it's it's one of the things that really resonates with me because obviously I, I worked with my father. I created our business yeah. um, together and it was... It was a beautiful thing having that journey yeah. together. Um, it definitely um, is probably my best experience, and it's yeah. the thing that I, I live on. And it's ultimately it's what our family business has is is a family business. Um, it's interesting because hearing you talk about obviously, so you did a business degree, you then went into marketing. Okay, so yeah. these are two factors straight away which I'm I'm still looking at have really enabled you to grow in the way that you have because. Let's face it, most hairdressers that open salons, generally their experience comes from working in a salon where they spend every day and they have a situation where they maybe are running that salon and then that salon owner decides to maybe retire or call it a day and that stylist tends to take it over. That's, that's where a lot yeah. of it is. And they don't have those tools. You have exactly. an incredible set of tools to enable you to go forwards. Yeah. Yeah, I was, um, I mean, it all, 
if you if you think about it and look at it on paper it kind of looks like I had this this you know really robust plan set out um in terms of the order that I was going to do things in and and I really honestly didn't um however you know me at the time thinking when I came out of uni oh I must go and get a job in business I mean I don't know what at the time I thought a job in business actually meant because I couldn't be any more in business now than what I'm doing so you know at the time I obviously had these weird and wonderful notions of maybe working in the corporate world I mean I'm definitely not not cut out to be uh, in the corporate world or actually to be managed in all fairness I think I would feel very sorry for my manager if they had to manage me I agree I agree (laughs) I'm sure you can relate (laughs) Because it's one of those. So you you obviously opened the first salon and that was that in the original site where you still are now? Yeah. So that's our that's our County Durham site. Um, And I say County Durham because it's in a small town called Newton Aycliffe and not very many people have heard of it. Um, And my original setting was on an industrial estate. Um, And that was simply because the bulk of my client base was in and around that area. Um, The industrial estate was just off the A1. So location wise, it was ideal. Um, But again, I was kind of moving away from the the norm and and, and people were thinking I was absolutely crazy. Why are you doing this? You know, this is never going to work. You're in the back of beyond in the middle of nowhere. Who was going to come to you? And, you know, (laughs) they do and they, they still do. So um, we we doubled the space of there. We took on a unit next door because obviously we just needed, you know, needed to up the the, the amount of staff for demand. And um, and yeah, so now we're uh, we're quite a large salon and, and very, very well known in the area. So in yeah. terms of that time, where did you where did you focus a lot of that growth? Where did that come from? Was it you know, was it social media? Was it your marketing aspect? Was it? just the quality that you were doing in the salon so you had referrals yeah I think um if I'm totally honest it's it was basically word of mouth recommendation because I was so I'm I'm such a perfectionist um which you know to my detriment sometimes I think um you know there's that that sort of saying where it's better to just do a little bit of something than get it right and do nothing do you know what I mean it's whatever that one is but that's normally me and I've had to kind of really work on that but in the early days um that was very much my focus was every single service that I did was going to be 100% spot on um and it just grew that way and 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 I will be honest that we did very very little advertising wise um, but I think because I'd got a bit of a marketing background, I think what we did was smart, if you know what I mean. So mm-hmm. um, I think um, I think we were kind of lucky in that in that respect. But it, it was mostly word of mouth. Which is an amazing thing, because when you look back, I mean, you know, I've been in the industry for, for some time now, um, longer than you. And there's that moment where I only spoke about it the other day on another show and we were sort of saying we didn't have social media. You no. know, everything everything that we had, you know, mid-90s was all about delivering quality service in the salon. And that's where you grew the business. And it's interesting because I asked myself this question the other day that if I was to start again now, completely brand new energy, what would it be like? You know, having all of the tools and the facilities that we've got now so it's almost a case of kind of asking yourself what would you what would you ask yourself then at a 21 year old that you would potentially do different yeah it's 
for me, um, it's a really weird thing that I think there's sort of there's there's good and bad points of of where we're at now. So for me, looking at um people who are coming into the industry, um, like I during lockdown, I did a lot of work with Manchester College doing their kind of online um student days and things and then chatting to uh to students who are either just about to graduate um from their hair um courses or were thinking of going into them and I I was sort of looking at how I felt when I was that age and when I say that age I mean an apprentice we won't go into the fact that I was clearly older than them at the time but um for me it was a massive confidence thing at the time and you know I did I didn't feel like I was good enough for a very 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 long time and there's two things that if you've got the social media aspect going on now where everybody compares their life to everybody else because everybody puts these Instagram pictures on there you know even as salon owners we don't put the rubbish pictures on do we we only put the good ones Um, we don't put when the tone has gone wrong we don't put that one on there we only put the good ones Uh so for me, I think there's so much pressure now for people to create this image. And I think we do, you know, as as salon owners, I think unless you've kind of got a bit more experience now, the temptation is to focus maybe on the wrong things, which is the looking good instead of the quality of the service, because it's about the yeah. Instagram shot at the end. Um but at the same time, I kind of look now and think all of these communities that I'm now involved with um, as hairdressers, I think we're more connected now than we've ever been. And when I was, you know, when social media was a new thing, I think as hairdressers, there was a potential to kind of look at each other as if everybody was your competitor. Mm-hmm. And now I think that's changed a lot and, and everybody is about helping each other. And and for me, that's the positive of social media. I think that's great. Well, I do- I mean, I mean, looking back for me, I think the biggest thing is, I mean, it's, it's crazy because as a salon owner, you'll completely understand that going through what we have just been through um, and still going through it. One of my biggest takeaways was basically relationships. Yeah. It was it was the single thing that I think if I look at it from a hugely positive aspect, suddenly the industry, like you said, we came on an even level. We were all shut. It didn't make any difference. Everybody was in exactly the same situation. Yeah. And actually, those conversations turned into some pretty positive things. I think even when you look at groups now, you know, if you look on social media and you see how many hair groups, suddenly there's thousands of people in every group. And if you put a question on, some pretty amazing things come back out of it. Absolutely. Um, and I think you're right. I think like now we all have to maybe understand that actually the industry is probably you know, it's actually probably even getting smaller. Yes. So actually, it's probably about time that we did start to talk to each other because there's enough business out there. And this leads me on to this next question. So for you, um, you decided to open a second site, which, and you, and is this right? You did this during the period, during like the 18-month kind of lockdown period? No, we, we'd actually opened um, a few months before the first lockdown. Right. So I, you know, hadn't quite got to grips with um, fully with the business before we were plunged into the first four-month lockdown. <laughs> so the timing <laughs> was absolutely atrocious. Couldn't, literally couldn't have been any yeah. worse for us. Um, because obviously you're paying, because um, I, I actually I actually bought out another, another salon. So, um, you know, I was paying what were pre 
pre-pandemic prices whereas if I'd looked at buying a business during the pandemic I probably would have got it for a lot cheaper <laughs> yeah but it you know it is what it is um so yeah we we actually bought um bought in Leeds city center which um for me has been a huge learning curve because running a salon which is a destination salon and then running a salon on a high street are completely different business models um so that's been a massive learning curve for me definitely and what are those challenges, you know, with that, with having a second site? Well, I mean, the challenge with having a second site is because um, obviously you're then clearly spreading yourself very thinly, if nothing else. Um, but because I can't then be in two places at once, I then have to make sure that my second site is running exactly how the first site runs because this is the point of building a brand isn't it you want to make sure that you've got some consistency of quality and service mm-hmm. um but because our demographics are very very different in Leeds than they are in our county Durham site um the way that we market the way that we price things the way that we add value are just so so different because our demographics are different I mean Leeds city centre you know ordinarily pre-COVID it was quite easy to think you're aiming at students you're aiming at office workers and you're aiming at retail workers plus you've also aiming at people who will come into Leeds for um you know a Saturday afternoon drink in the shop it's it's one of those um however once the pandemic hit and you realized that the office workers are all at home and the uni students are all at home and the retail workers are all either working and then going home or actually you know not there at all i.e hospitality at the time um so you haven't got anyone there. So that was very, very tough. Yeah. And is that, is that the moment where you've really had to pivot having that second site? Yeah, it's um, it, it was one of those things where we had to make sure that we'd got enough revenue streams coming in that didn't rely on specifically knowing when the office workers were going to be back and knowing when the students were going to be back because even students you know that's seasonal so you've got mm-hmm. a hell of a lot of time where they're not there so if the office workers aren't there either then you've still you know at those periods lost your clients so um for us we then um during lockdown it was always on the cards anyway but during lockdown we've kind of um, made tentative steps to set up a training academy um so we're now going to be running courses out of the two sites so for us you know it's it's just making sure that we've got other ideas sort of in the pipeline should and we uh should and we that's exciting for you because obviously having the passion that you do particularly for the extension market when I think we've probably all sort of experienced it there are some there are some people that aren't doing it in the way that it, it should be done um oh, yes. and are charging some pretty crazy money and not delivering a quality service so for you it's actually a great niche having those two sites and turning yourself into that specialist. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's an exciting, that's an exciting future business as well. Well, I hope so. <laughs> We're planning on it. Um, but yeah, I think no, you've, you've kind of hit the nail on the head there really where I, I did see, um, see the niche again this time around. Cause for me, when I first started the extension business, there was the niche where I was just looking at you know there were extensions were new at the time really relatively speaking in terms of being mainstream it was only a very select type of person who would wear a set of extensions and um therefore there were a lot of extension disasters that 
people would talk about everybody knew of a horror story with extensions and I saw a niche there where I just thought actually hang on you know you can make these an everyday wear for anybody who wants to wear them um so that was my focus and then as time has now gone on I've seen the niche where hang on a second we're still allowing people who have got no hair background whatsoever to do a one-day training course and be let loose Mm -hmm. and fitting hair into people's heads and these people still are out there so I now look and think well for me I want to be able to show people who are salon owners how they can actually have a profitable hair extension service in the salon because a lot of salon owners touch on it and then shy away from it because they don't do enough for them to make it a niche in their salon and knowing who are out there who have only had a one-day training course you know they need a bit of extra support as well so whilst in principle I think that we should regulate it more and actually make sure that the people who are training in the first place are hairdressers unfortunately that is not how the industry works so I'm thinking well if I can at least help those people be better than what they are then you know I think that's that's, that's definitely something that I think the industry as a whole is probably hopefully coming together now. Um, Obviously, in terms of even like state registration, it's something that I think the industry have talked about for a very, very long time. And actually, there is a great opportunity for us to to now potentially all stand up and actually say we want it. We want every single salon to be state registered and to actually have the qualifications that you should have in a professional industry so it backs up 100 percent exactly what you're doing so i totally resonate with that which is really exciting for you going forwards and um, it's interesting as obviously having the sort of two salons though like what what would you look at are the sort of the main struggles though sort of deep down with having the two sites um for me i have issues at the moment and whether or not they are as a result of the pandemic or whether it's as a result of having two salons um with staffing staffing is a huge huge issue for me at the moment um because well I mean I I can certainly say what is a pandemic issue which is the fact that you've got a lot of newly qualified stylists who have graduated during lockdown with absolutely no salon experience whatsoever Mm -hmm. um but obviously because of the way that the um national minimum wage is uh, continually going up from uh, from our Rishi um (laughs) we're then in a in a situation where you're having to pay people what will soon be nine pound fifty an hour with absolutely no no floor experience whatsoever and it's it's an unfair situation for that newly qualified stylist who's very very keen to get the experience but then also as the salon owner who's having to pay out a very large amount per hour for an inexperienced stylist and it's it's interesting having seen that I mean particularly in even in the last week I've made a real point of going out and talking to as many people within the industry as possible and everybody seems to be feeling the same pain because obviously what's starting to happen is that shift between employed, freelance, rented chair, that whole sort of market is starting to shift. And yeah. it's interesting to see what, you know, what that future looks like. And I'm, I'm wondering whether there's going to be a shift, you know, completely one way. I don't see it. I, I seem to look at it and feel that everybody I've spoke to is more about we have to kind of ride this wave for a, a, 
period of time. And I think those of us that are there at the end, I think are going to succeed um, incredibly you know, well. Do you know how I look at it, to be honest, is yes, I am one of the people who could behave like a victim at the moment of the fact that you know we have large VAT bills we are struggling with staff Rishi continually puts the the minimum wage up you know and you're trying to incentivize your staff and stay above that but then it's continually let's let's put our prices up oh my goodness you can't put your prices up you'll lose clients blah 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 you know I, I could play victim to that um but would I change my business model absolutely not I went into my lead salon having inherited the rent a chair model and for me I have no personal comments to make in terms of what somebody should do but from a business perspective for me it was not a model that I liked and Mm -hmm. would ever ever pursue again I felt like I had no control whatsoever over what was going on in my own salon and it was it was a stressful nightmare that I would never ever want to repeat um and so I've chosen the model that works for me and my focus then is as you've rightly said is riding the wave but the way I see it is they're two they're two completely different ways of life So it just you're always going to get the people who are quite happy to work from home at somebody else's house in a garage, wherever it is that they are and for themselves. And there's nothing wrong with that. And you'll make a very, very good living as a a hairdresser. No issue with that. But it can be quite a lonely life to be a self-employed stylist I've been there you know it's it is a it's a lonely thing and also your career opportunities your progression stuff like that is far more limited and if anything happened to you Mm -hmm. you know if your hands don't work and I think that's going to be that will be the next step I think that I think more is going to come out of that and the thing I'm kind of most excited about talking to you to be honest with Victoria is that you are a (laughs) multi-award-winning salon owner um and that is an exciting thing. And that is because you deliver quality. So uh, what are, for the listeners, what are three pro tips that they you think people could take away from you? For me? Yeah. Oh, goodness me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, my husband tells me that I'm like a machine in terms of my work ethic and consistency and I think for me it's consistency is the one thing like my daughter works for me I've just made my daughter um, a director of of our lead salon so she's super keen now to grow it and and progress the business and the one thing I hammer home to her all the time is you can't just have like a little burst of yes I'm going to do loads on social media this is going to be brilliant and then have a week off I said you know for the last 10 11 years I have not stopped and doesn't matter how I feel I'm still turning up every day um you know I I, I won the um entrepreneurial spirit award at the um Great British Entrepreneur Awards last year Mm -hmm. and the reason I won that award was because um I'd shown tenacity during a tough time which was um I lost my sister um five years ago to a brain tumor she was 25 hideous time for me and my family and actually I kind of turned my work into a positive thing because it was like a therapy for me 
Um, and so I think consistency is the one thing that I would say is, is kind of got me through into where I am with the business. Um, the other thing that I would say is um, for people to have integrity in what they do. Um, and especially with extensions, um, because I think there is there's a lot of stigma attached to them. And there are a lot of people who think that this can be a rip off. You've been you know, somebody's had your eyes out here and that sort of thing. Um, and so for me, I'm always, always saying to people that what I'm giving you is exactly this it costs this much and this is where I get it from and this is this is what I'm putting into your hair here's the packet you know and I never ever try and fob people off and and I've always kind of owned my errors and my staff's errors and that sort of thing so it's it's consistency and integrity the 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 two the two main things and then I think the last thing I would want to say is is just for people to be themselves and to not compare yourself to anybody else you know I am a, a completely different person to the next person who's won awards for doing extensions, but I do what I do very well in my own way. And not everybody's going to like you. Not everyone's going to love you, but there are people out there who will think you're the best thing since sliced bread. And they are the people who you need to surround yourself by. And don't worry. I, I, I love that. I love, I mean, I love all three of them. Um, you know, a hundred percent resonate with consistency because I mean, I've had the salon for 23 years, and I think one of the things is we've done that. We've continually tried to make sure we run a consistent level all the way through that salon, exactly like you do. And it's the same with habits. You know, it's like I try and read a book, you know, every couple of weeks because I like the consistency of finishing one, start another one. In fact, I'm probably like a multiple reader, uh, which is probably a bit of an issue, but it's that learning, you know, the continuous of learning, you know. People being themselves, I think it's one of those things that if we really grab hold of that and think about the fact of social media, it's, it is a huge benefit, but it's also a huge negative because I think that for that simple reason, you know, there are a lot of people that aren't themselves. Um, and I'm, I'm always hoping that people do really get hold of that and not worry about um, those other people because they don't matter. They really, really don't. Um, and actually personal self-growth, I mean, that is my that's my favorite thing it should be your number one thing that you stick with is personal self-growth because actually as a result of it so many amazing things will happen around you just because of that attraction love it consistency integrity being themselves how do we feel about that listeners i love that so what i like to do to finish the show is we do uh call it a bit like the final five so we have kind of five questions and they're like quick quick fire and uh you can have one word, but don't elaborate on them too much. All right? Okay? So, final five. So, two habits that you think people should carry out. Two habits. Yeah, two habits that you think people should carry out. I like it. Oh, my goodness me. That's really <laughs> putting me on the spot, isn't it? Oh, wow. Two habits. Yeah, two habits that you think maybe like daily people should carry out. People should do daily, right. In an ideal world, exercise. Yeah. Exercise. Even if it's just a walk around the block and yeah. exercise changes your mindset completely. Um, okay. And make, make your bed. 
Make your bed, eh? Make your bed. See, do you know what? That's an interesting one because just quickly, I don't want to love too much, but making your bed is one of the key habits of some of the biggest entrepreneurs in the world. Yes, indeed. Consistency in making your bed, if you're listening to those people. And exercise, I'm an exercise buff, so I love it. Mindset, everything. And uh, what do you do when you wake up and what do you do when you go to bed? What's the first thing you do when you wake up and what's the last thing you do when you go to bed? <laughs> first thing I do when I wake up. I'm really going to sound like a complete techno <laughs> idiot. I, I check my Coinbase. <laughs> you check your Coinbase. Check that out, people. Literally, literally, and I do it when I yeah. It's it's the it's the it is my morning and my evening habit, right? It's not a lie. During lockdown, when I had a lot of time on my hands, in the initial one where I was too busy floating about the house, thinking, "Oh my god, what's happening." I invested in cryptocurrency. Wow, like it. And I'm now a little bit obsessed, so I checked my Coinbase. It's not a lie. I like it. That's great. For those of you that haven't diverged into the cryptocurrency world, it's an interesting market, people. It is. (laughs) And you know the reason why she looked at it every day, morning and night, because it changes every day. (laughs) Like that one. Not always for the better. Oh, I like that one. Um, favorite piece of advice you've been given and worst piece of advice? The worst piece of advice I was ever given, I'll move on to my favorite one, but the worst piece of advice I was ever given um, was actually, it was by um, somebody at uni when I was doing my business degree um, who said to me that you should never, ever start a business unless you've got a 100% completely foolproof business plan. It was the most ridiculous piece of advice I was ever given because how can any plan ever be foolproof? Business is a risk every single day. Every day. Yeah. So that was the worst piece of advice I was ever given because had I followed that, I would never have moved from what I was doing. So yeah, don't ever pay attention to that one. And the best piece of advice I was ever given was to just be myself just literally just you do you and don't copy just don't just be you love it love that foolproof nothing is foolproof my god if it was how different business would be wouldn't it (laughs) wouldn't be great (laughs) (laughs) wouldn't it just um what one thing can't you live without oh god my phone (laughs) it's my phone? phone Oh, there we are you see do you know why I mean, you can't check coinbase without it well i can't check coinbase but actually it's 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 more i look at like all of the facebook messages that come through and there's somebody replying to them and what's happening with this group chat and what's you know nothing nothing to do with my social life because i don't have one it's all work related um, but if i didn't say my phone i would have actually said my vape because i was a very very good girl and i quit smoking quite a while ago and sometimes it's like a dummy but it stops me from going back so you know i to be grateful for that as well <laughs> oh i love your honesty love that well, brilliant um and then last one to uh finish this um a rule that you think people should abide by like a rule that you think people should abide by you can make it a rule never Ask anybody to do anything that you wouldn't be prepared to do yourself. Yeah, love that. It's the one um, I live by at work. Yeah. And serves me well. Yeah, likewise. Love that one. Awesome. 
Oh, what a great interview. Hopefully you've enjoyed that one, everyone, people. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, so, Victoria, what I'd love you to do is, where can people find you? Where can they find you on social media? What, what, what's your addresses and channels? So you can find us on Facebook um, and Instagram and sometimes Twitter, um, depending on whether or not I get time. Either way, we are at Locks of Love Hair on Instagram and I am at V Maven Hair. Um, and on Facebook, we are Locks of Love HQ and Training Academy. So you can, uh, you can get in touch there. Fabulous. So you can find out about all of Victoria's amazing extensions, successes and education on those sites. Well, Victoria, thank you for that interview today. It's been amazing. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I Me too. Thank you very much. See you again very, very soon. Take care. Bye.